Hello and welcome into another episode of Lockdown Wolves. Today on the show, we're talking all about the Athletics Player Tiers by Seth Partnow and uh, where the Timberwolves all ranked. Every single one of them has been ranked. Now, I want to talk about the top of the rankings, if Seth got the top couple of tiers right, in my opinion. Also, who are the highest ranked Timberwolves? How high was Anthony Edwards on this list? And where did Rudy Gobert slide to compared to last year's uh, Athletic Player Tiers list? It's all coming to the show. Welcome in. You are Lockdown Wolves. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy weekend. Happy Team USA exhibition game day as well. We'll talk a little bit about that here off the top. A big thank you, first of all, for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, this show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can find this show. You can also watch on the Locked On Minnesota app, Locked, excuse me, Locked On Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV. This show, along with all the other Minnesota Lockdown podcasts, are available there. More great local sports coverage 24-7 for free. Download the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app today on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. You can also follow the show on Twitter, or I guess on X, at Beacon and at Locked on T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. All right. Uh, today, Friday, is the next Team USA exhibition game they haven't played since Sunday. They had that Saturday, Sunday back-to-back in Spain. They're in... I think they're in Abu Dhabi today, and they're playing against Greece. It's an 11 a.m. Central tip, so perhaps by the time you're listening to this, the game is happening or has just happened. Um, We'll talk about Team USA stuff from over the weekend on Monday's show, but they haven't played since the last couple of times we've had a Lockdown Wolves show, so there's not much else to say there other than hopefully Ants having a great game on Friday. Uh, But we'll talk about that on Monday's show. Today, I want to spend the majority of the time talking about the Athletic Player Tiers by Seth Partnow, who, of course, used to be the director of basketball research, essentially analytics with the Milwaukee Bucks. We spent most of Wednesday's show talking about this as well, and 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 I'll give a brief summary of Wednesday, but go back and listen to that if you missed it, because there were three Timberwolves players ranked um, lower in his tiers, and then there were two more players ranked since Wednesday's show. So that's what we're going to spend most of today talking about. I do want to mention that um, there are some now very early win-loss predictions out there. Now that the schedule's out, of course, we're going to start to see, which actually, I guess, the schedule's out. So, I mean, I'm sure by now you've seen it. Um, Nothing real groundbreaking except for the fact that the in-season tournament kind of, you know, every team only has 80 games in the schedule now. So it's a little bit weird. Uh, But anyway, NBA schedule's out. So go check that out. And we'll maybe talk a little bit more about highlights for the schedule next week. Uh, but I, I really want to talk about this player tiers thing now because it's it's got this is fun. Like talking about this is a lot of fun, in, in my opinion, and just kind of talking through the the um, the the attempted rhyme and reason of of the player tiers and and what I what I think about where some of the Wolves players are ranked and also generally the the top of the rankings too. But anyway, we'll get to some early win loss discussions next week. I'll give my preliminary. Um, prediction on Timberwolves win total this year. Uh, so that'll be upcoming next week. Um, so look forward to that. All right, let's talk about Seth Partnow's tears over at The Athletic. Um, on Wednesday's show, we talked about the rankings for Mike Conley, Jane McDaniels, and Carl Anthony Towns. The summary of the exercise, the real quick summary is this is essentially the top 125 players in the league. Seth 
divides them up by tiers. It's not a true player ranking. He doesn't rank them one through 125. He takes chunks of players in tiers and sub-tiers and attempts to solve for, or not solve for, attempts to represent which players provide the most championship equity for this season. And that's how one of the main criteria, there's a whole list of criteria that basically the biggest ones are championship equity for this year. They're contract agnostic, according to Seth's language, which basically means contracts can be used as tiebreakers, but this isn't a, um, it's not a, like a, re- a franchise redraft. And he says that uh, it, it's, that's not what this is intended to be. It's also which players are, are best in their roles, right? So role players who are quote unquote elite role players are going to be rewarded in this particular exercise because they um, they're good in their role and that's the imp- that's the positive impact they have on their team. And Seth also explains like some of these different advanced stat metrics aren't necessarily like how good this player is; it's how good they are in the role they're given. Which is exactly why teams like it, it's why front offices have the jobs that they do, right? I mean, anybody can look at the publicly available analytics and rank them by, you know. This is a terrible example, but rank them by wind shares or which apparently is a big Mark Laurie, Alex Rodriguez stat. rank them by wind shares or rank them by RAPM or whatever. And and just say, here are the best players and we should only acquire the best players. Right. Well, teams like, say, Tim Connolly can look at at, uh, I don't know, like Shake Milton and be like, ah, he had a little bit of a down year in some areas, but maybe he was missed used and we think he'll be a better fit with the Wolves or Nikhil Alexander-Walker is a good example of that. A lot of the advanced stats don't love the first four years of Alexander-Walker's career, but the Wolves said like, hey, look, we like what he does defensively and we think he could fit this role within our offense and be effective. We think there's development with his jump shot. We think that those advanced stats will come up if he's put in a better role, right? That's essentially part of this exercise is trying to take those things and, um, and add color to the advanced metrics. So it's not quite as clean and dirty as the advanced metrics. That said, I spent a good chunk of Wednesday's show on a bit of a soapbox. And we'll do that a little bit more today because this is this is the type of thing that gets me excited because this is supposed to be a, um, it, it inherently is an arbitrary exercise on some level, right? Or at least a, a subjective exercise, I guess is maybe a better word. But um, Seth, obviously is analytically minded and he's going to take, or I should say, yeah, analytically minded, whatever. Um, he takes these advanced metrics and he takes a three-year sample of RAPM and of, um, I think it was, uh, uh, was it EPM is the other one that he uses. Um, and basically then says, yeah, EPM and RAPM and a couple of other stats and says that they matter, but like, that's not the whole story. And so where I got a little bit thrown off on Wednesday and, and I remain thrown off by this is, ignoring, not entirely ignoring, but suppressing some of the, like not worrying as much about Jade McDaniel's ranking, you know, sub 200 in the, you know, outside of the top 200 players in a lot of advanced metrics, but then still putting him in tier five. But then with Carl Anthony Towns, who's still a top 30, 40 player in terms of a lot of those metrics, even in a down year, putting him in tier four B, it just, it, it, it was confusing to me. And especially like, this is the one that I really got hung up on. And, and I recognize that this is just like a very minute piece of this, but still ridiculous. And I, I maintain how ridiculous this is. Putting Towns in 4B and Paolo Bancaro in 4A, like, what are we doing? Like, we're talking about 2024. We're not talking about 2027. We're not talking about, you know, who was most, like, I, I don't know. I, I just, that just blows my mind. It's a half tier. It's, it's 
maybe one player rank spot if we want to get in the weeds on that. It doesn't matter really, but it's frustrating. It doesn't make sense either. So anyway, so Conley and McDaniels are in 5A, and I was okay with the ranking for both of them. I thought McDaniels should have been a little bit higher because based on Seth's own criteria, if we're setting aside some of the advanced analytics and we're talking about how good someone is in their role, the cliff notes in my Wednesday argument was Jade McDaniels is one of the top three, probably maybe five overall defenders in the entire league last year. He's the best ball screen defender, the best at getting through screens, one of the best perimeter defenders, one of the best help side block uh shot blocking artists, one of the best transition defenders, all that stuff is factually true. Even if he is still at best a net neutral offensively, if you look at the actual efficiency and impact of his game, he shouldn't be in 5A. Like he should be much higher, in my opinion. If he's really that impactful defensively, he should rank higher. Mike Conley, I get that. It makes sense. The advanced metrics still love Mike Conley. He actually kind of bounced back in a way last year in a Wolves uniform, at least from where he'd been for the year and a half prior in Utah when you, you know, post Donovan Mitchell, Utah. Um, and then Carlton Towns, I thought was a little bit low, but I understand why he's in 4B. It's more just some of the guys in 4A. Like I would have bumped him to 4A. You could have argued 3B or 3C, but 4A makes some sense, right? I spent a lot of time talking about that Wednesday. So um, today I want to spend the rest of the show talking about Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert, where they rank now that we've kind of established the baseline for this. And actually, Seth does a quite a bit of talking about Gobert in this article. Um, so I want to read just like an excerpt or two from from what he says about Rudy, because I, I think that that's pretty, um, pretty interesting. Uh, because Gobert is, is, of course, a polarizing topic in general. But from somebody who absolutely like, like, you know, was in the industry, right? Actually worked for a team and has a, I think, a measured take on Rudy Gobert. So um, I absolutely want to want to talk about that take as well. So we'll get to that here next. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our friends over at FanDuel. Football season is about to kick off and FanDuel is giving you a chance to win all season long. Right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time that they win in the regular season. That's right. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you'll actually get bonus bets for every regular season victory. It's a really fun, I mean, like pick your favorite team if you want to win the Super Bowl. You're going to get bonus bets if they just win like in week one or week three or whatever. Um, and theoretically, you're picking a team that has a shot to win anyway. So you should rack up some serious uh, bonus bets, right? Also, in addition to football, you've got um, nearly the stretch run in baseball. You've got uh, the beginning of hockey here soon, the beginning of college football, FIBA World Cup the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's a ton of fun over at FanDuel. You can use your bonus bets that you accrue um, on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash lockdown and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash Locked on. All right. So continuing the the NBA player tiers discussion at The Athletic, let's get into tier three because that's where we'll find Rudy Gobert. And actually, that's also where we'll find Anthony Edwards. Now, they're not in the same tier. In fact, they're, tier three is a big tier. And uh, I'll, I'll uh, dive into that a bit more here in a second. But let's talk about Rudy. Um Tier three is divided into three subtiers: C, B, and A. Tier three C is thirty-four players, thirty-four through thirty-nine. So this isn't a clean player rank system, right? And Seth kind of explains this in his initial article uh, that I think was published maybe Monday or Tuesday of this week. And uh, 
but within the like if you just take all of the players and divide them out by tier this is those are those these six players are in 34 to 39 so gobert could be 34th he could be 39th if you're doing like a player rank which is probably about right like he'd been considered top 20 until probably the beginning of last year and to slide him into the upper 30s makes sense but seth's actually talks quite a bit about rudy so i'm going to just read what he has here um he says I should also say other players in 3C. So it's Rudy, it's Bradley Beal, DeMar DeRozan, LaMelo Ball, Mikel Bridges, Terry's Halberton. And let me, this is me talking now. If you ask a random, um, random NBA fan, I'm not going to add any other qualifiers. Like, hey, would you put Rudy Gobert, Bradley Beal, DeMar DeRozan, LaMelo Ball, Mikel Bridges, Terry's Halberton in the same group? Most people would be like, no, those guys are all better than Rudy, right? Like, Bradley Beal, I think a lot of people just casual casually would just say, ah, he's top 20. Well, he's not. And and Seth talks a little bit about this too. So I think on its face, it's pretty interesting because already he ranks Gobert is higher on this list than many, uh, certainly non-Wolves fans or maybe non-Jazz fans. People that don't watch Rudy regularly would assume he's not a top 39 player. And uh, he is. So Seth says, now I'm reading directly. He says, this is the group I'm probably fuzziest about the, in the entire exercise. Having just waxed poetic about the value of stars over and above top role players, I half wonder if this group should not have been the top of tier four rather than here. Rudy Gobert's reputation has certainly taken its hits over recent years. Much of last season in Minnesota did not go well for him. And there are more than a few examples of enormous humans declining rapidly once they hit the wrong side of 30. However, he was still a force Defensively, according to Cleaning the Glass, the Wolves were 5.7 points per 100 possessions better on defense with Gobert on the floor and were in the 86th percentile of defensive rating in those minutes. He had a down year defending the rim, not quite keeping up with Jaron Jackson Jr., Brooke Lopez, or even sadly for Gobert partisans, Walker Kessler. But in context of Gobert's career, a down rim protection season was still an excellent bordering on elite display of interior impact. The offensive struggles were real. But lineups with Gobert as the lone big on the floor played offense at a league average level. Regardless, there was very little chance Gobert is in this spot. This is the part that's really interesting to me. Pay attention to this. Regardless, there is very little chance Gobert is in this spot next year. Either he bounces back toward his Utah level, or last season proves to be less a blip and more a sign he's on the inevitable downward slope. I agree with that 100%. Like, Gobert last year was still a really good player. And it really kind of just underscores how dominant he was defensively the last five, six, seven years before that. So he's either starting to decline or it was just an acclimating to a new environment, learning how to play with ants, learning how to defend with, even though the system the Wolves played defensively was, you know, similar to Utah. Um, The issues were more on offense. Like his defense was, even if it wasn't elite elite, it was still bordering on elite, as he says, right? He, He calls it excellent bordering on elite in terms of interior impact. Now, the Wolves did not give up all the assets they did for a bordering on elite defensive impact. They gave it up for an elite defensive impact and a strong offensive impact. And his offensive impact was negative. It, it was. Um, so, it was this a was this an acclimation pains type season or was this the wrong side of 30 Rudy Gobert and this is what the Wolves gave up all those assets for, including Walker Kessler? Um. But in a vacuum, removing what the Wolves gave up for him, which is tough to do, but like if we're just evaluating Gobert's performance, he was still a top 39 NBA player and would be should be considered that going into this season. He's a tier 3C player, according to uh, Seth Partnow. And by the way, 
almost a full tier ahead of Carl Anthony Towns. Two sub tiers ahead of Carl Anthony Towns, right? If Towns is 4B, there's a 4A, and then in 3C is Rudy. Um, now, I also argued against where Towns was ranked. I think he's, I, I don't understand how Towns is not a top 40 player. Like, I just think that's nuts. Um, but I, I buy Gobert being in the high 30s. Like, I think actually they should probably both be in about the same tier. Now, the Wolves coming into last year, I said on the show they were both top 25 players, if not top 20, and they should have been. But Towns' injury, combined with Gobert's struggles, frankly, means that they're not. They're top 40 players now, or in, I guess in the case of Towns, top 50, according to Partnaw's rankings, tiers. So that's where Rudy is. I, I can't really fault that. And he goes on to say, by the way, he talks about how Beal and DeRozan, I talk about, this is, he, I have the exact same perspective. I've said this on the show Anytime the Wolves play the, the Bulls or the Wizards or whatever. Beal, DeRozan, and to a lesser extent, Levine are all the same guy. They're not the same guy, literally, but in terms of impact, right? They're offense-only guys who are, um, they're not as efficient as they should be, despite all being on varying levels, I guess. Uh, well, DeRozan's improved three-point shot as well, but they're all good shooters. But because they don't, they're not positive they don't impact the game positively on defense and they're not they're not really creating for others or consistently getting to the rim, et cetera, et cetera. Um, their impact isn't as great as it maybe should be. And that's why they're here. Right? That's why they're in in and Will Levine was actually in the I believe it I believe he was in four C. I think he was a little below towns, like in the fifty five to sixty player range, which is probably about right for Zach Levine. Like I mostly agree with this whole exercise, and, and we'll get more into that when we get to Anthony Edwards, because I also agree with how with how Seth ranked Edwards. But Gobert in this tier makes sense to me. And actually, be, we could I'll just keep cruising through tier three, uh, because then we'll get to Ant. So that's tier three C. Three B is players twenty five to thirty three. Ant's not in there. He's got Ant in his top twenty four players. Twenty five to thirty three is Trey Young, Kyrie Irving, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Draymond Green, Pascal Siakam. Zion Williamson, Jalen Brunson, and Laurie Markkinen. Um, I, I buy all of this. I, I actually agree with with these rankings. Um, I agree with Ant being higher than all of them. And I agree with all of them being higher than Rudy and Kat. Like, I, I, it's hard to argue with this. And, and obviously for different reasons, right? Um, the... The you know the the there's defensive questions for many of these guys like obviously Trey actually I would argue Trey Young could maybe slide down a couple of tiers, uh, but the the defensive concerns with Trey with Kyrie, um, Jalen Brunson at times like there there's defensive and Laurie Markkinen and then there's offensive concerns with other guys in this list too that don't contribute as much offensively. I think this tier seems about right. I, I can't argue with with three B. That gets us to three A. This is players nineteen to twenty four. And this is a fun tier. These are all, with the exception of, I guess, one and a half players, I would say, all kind of up-and-coming stars. Bam at, and this is no order. 3A, players 19 to 24. Bam Adebayo, Jalen Brown, Donovan Mitchell, Jaron Jackson Jr., Darren Fox, and Anthony Edwards. And the one and a half are Donovan Mitchell's not really up-and-coming anymore. Jalen Brown, eh, he's he's one of those guys where it feels like like there's still more, and then you, you're like, yeah, hey, he's been in the league a while already. Like, you know. Um, but that's a fun tier. Like these are guys who all could still be rising and, uh, I'll give a little bit of what Seth says and then we'll get into my evaluation specifically of Ant and then also who he's got at the top of the tiers. Cause I think that's fun to look at too. Um, Gobert related note, 
he says, Seth says in the write-up for 3A, he says in the past I've had Gobert a tier above this, as in like 2C, but Seth says he's reconsidered whether or not he overvalued Gobert's defense and think that neither Bam Adebayo nor reigning defensive player of the year Jackson is the level of one-man one top 10 defense that Gobert was in his prime. Don't miss that. That's how good Rudy Gobert was. So he, he is debating, did I overvalue Gobert's defense? But also admits, Adebayo and Jaron Jackson Jr. are both fantastic defenders, but Rudy, they're not where Gobert was a couple of years ago. Even two to three years ago, how good Gobert was defensively, which which I think also underscores, even if Gobert takes a mini, like a quarter step backwards, he's still an elite defender. There's no question about that. Um, he goes on to talk about how Adebayo's added offense to his game. Um, surprisingly, partner is a fan of De'Aaron Fox, uh, which I, I say that because there's some not this last year, there's some inefficient streaks in there for De'Aaron Fox. And I think this year, a lot of what he did was buoyed by probably not repeatable clutch performances. Um, and then he talks about Donovan Mitchell having his, uh, uh, admits to having a certain degree of stylistic distaste for Donovan Mitchell's game. I actually want to spend a bit more time on the Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown, Anthony Edwards piece of this, because um, there are similarities year three Ant to year three Donovan Mitchell. Uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about the top of the list here. That's how we'll close the show today. So tier 3A players 19 to 24, according to Seth Partnow's player tier ranking, player tiers on The Athletic, it includes Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown, and Anthony Edwards. And I'll read a small chunk of what he says about Donovan Mitchell. He says, all, meaning Seth Partnow, Seth cops to a certain degree of stylistic distaste for Donovan Mitchell's game. It's hard to quantify with any precision, but my strong impression is that few are as quick as Mitchell to go, quote, full hero ball when facing tough situations in the playoffs, which isn't necessarily a bad thing as Mitchell has had several postseason runs where his ability as a tough shot maker has kept his team afloat. However, I'm not sure he's quite good enough at it to not simply somewhat limit his team's postseason offensive ceiling. I'll stop reading there and get my take. I agree with that 100%. I've long thought that about Donovan Mitchell. He's so dominant at times in the regular season for much of last year, especially he was so good at just taking games over and that's great. But unless you're a list of, I don't know, 10 to 15 guys in the history of the NBA, you're not going to win postseason games consistently by doing that. Right. Like more recently, obviously Michael Jordan, uh, LeBron, of course, um, you know, in a different way because he was, he was a big shack. Um, I mean, like, I think less of the body of work of Kobe Bryant, but like he was that guy at the end of games, obviously, um, you know, more Kevin Durant, certainly like there's guys that can do that. Is Donovan Mitchell on that level? I don't think he is, but that works well in the regular season at times, but it also limits the ceiling of his team's offense, which is, I just kind of said what Seth said in different words. And I agree with that hundred percent. He goes on to talk about Jalen Brown and Anthony Edwards uh, ranking higher than their regular season advanced metrics might indicate but he talks about how good they should be in the playoffs, how Jalen Brown has been and Edwards has been in much limited um, playoff action, just 11 career playoff games. He says, Jalen Brown and Anthony Edwards, their physicality and elite quick bursts athleticism mean they have the chance to overwhelm even a perfectly schemed defense. Both have limitations. Edwards' inconsistency as a jump shooter and decision maker and Brown's shaky handle in traffic would have to be rectified for either to progress higher. But even with those foibles, they have still been highly effective. I can't argue with any of this. And the reason I wanted to read the Donovan Mitchell part is because I want to compare year three to Don year three Donovan Mitchell to year three Anthony Edwards. There are a ton of similarities. And actually, Ant 
is better in many categories. Now, year three Donovan Mitchell, that was the COVID-shortened season that ended in the bubble. So there's some weirdness there uh, because I don't know what percentage of that was actually bubble games, um, but like that was a weird year, right? Donovan Mitchell that year averaged 24 points, four and a half rebounds, a little over four assists. Well, guess what? Anthony Edwards in year three averaged 24.6 points, nearly six rebounds per game, and slightly more assists per game, a tenth of an assist more per game, more steals per game. We could play, I you know, I generally prefer using... Um, assist rate, or excuse me, rate-based stats anyway, Anthony Edwards had a higher rebound rate, higher steal rate, higher block rate, um, better true shooting percentage, better effective field goal percentage. Of course, that also means he shot better from the floor and from the three-point line, barely. Um, Now, the big differences, though, why you could argue Donovan Mitchell was a superior player in year three was that he was, he had, it was nearly 11 percentage points better at the free-throw line on similar uh, free-throw rate, like, the free throw rate was very similar between the two of them in year three. But Donald Mitchell shot over 86% from the line. Ant was 75.6%. Nearly 11 points better at the line. That matters. And then also Donovan Mitchell, because he, frankly, at times just played point guard, right? He's he's a lot smaller than Ant. He initiates a ton of offense. His assist rate was higher, and his turnover rate was actually lower than Anthony Edwards, which surprised me. So back to Seth's point. Anthony Edwards, shaky, what did he say? Shaky, to, I'm going to go back to the exact words that he used. Um, inconsistency as a jump shooter and decision maker is what he said about Ant, the things that need to be fixed. If the decision making continues to improve, and I, I would say unequivocally it has improved um, year one to year two, year two to year three. I don't think there's any question about that. But for me, it's the comfort level, especially playing pick and roll with Rudy Gobert, and also playing with both Gobert and Towns on the floor, which obviously the whole Timberwolves roster needs to get more comfortable with that, and Finch has to get more comfortable with coaching that. But that's that's fixable, right? Like, all the raw tools are there, and the actually the offensive efficiency has improved. It's really just more assists, less turnovers, which is like, it sounds, it's maybe not as simple as that sounds, but it's super fixable from everything we've seen from Ant. And the other thing, by the way, is Ant... In year three, two years younger than Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell spent more time in college. So year three, Ant was only 21 years old. Donovan Mitchell was 23 in year three. That matters too. And it, it, like I think I think the floor for what, this is maybe a weird thing to do at three years in Ant's career. I think the floor for Ant is probably about what Donovan Mitchell is now, which is like a clear star, not quite superstar level. And that's actually... They're in the same tier right now, right? But I think that's actually Ant's floor. The ceiling is much higher. The, the ceiling is tier 1A. Like, we know that, right? Um, and actually, Seth has a, a really cool section in the in the most recent... Uh, we'll get... To, actually, I'll touch on that real quick here um, about tier 0, and I'll, I'll mention what that means in a second. But um, all that to say, year 3 Ant, you could argue, is as good as year 3 Donovan Mitchell and a couple years behind him age-wise. And now they're in the same tier when Donovan Mitchell's obviously much older than Anthony Edwards. So... Um, I like where Ant's ranked. I get it. I'm okay with it. I don't have any issues with him being in tier 3A, being considered in the 19 to 24, because I would have said this year, arbitrarily, Ant's somewhere in the 20 to 25 range in terms of best players in the league, which is, you know, borderline all-star, just miss all NBA. Like, that's 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 perfect for where Ant should be ranked going into the season. We all know if the defense is short up and the offensive playmaking's a little bit better, the decision-making improves incrementally, he's all NBA this year. There's no question. I mean, he's that good on both ends of the floor, that, that that should be, it is on the table. All right, real quickly, 
real, real quickly. I want to go through the rest of uh, the rankings to just kind of give my two cents. Players that are above 3A, so players in Tier 2C, James Harden, Paul George, Jamal Murray, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I'm a little surprised Gilgis-Alexander wasn't higher. Uh, he was so good this year. Um, but but obviously, team context matters a little in terms of like what the results ended up being for SGA. But still, top, what is that? I'm ballparking now, but like that's like in the... 14 to or 15 to 19, 15 to 18 range. That's about right for SGA. Um, two, two B is Anthony Davis, John Morant, Damian Lillard. Fine. T two A, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James. Then you get into tier one, one. So top six players. So players four through six in no particular order. Tier one B, Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic, Joel Embiid. Tier one A, Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. I agree with actually this whole tier one completely. And Seth goes on to explain, if you have the athletic subscription and you have a few moments to read this, he talks about how the Golden State Warriors of a few years ago kind of ruined how we view superstars because um, that team was so stacked that, that that he thinks his theory is Nikola Jokic got dinged before winning the championship this last year in terms of his national reputation because of how good this team was. They had two tier one players in Curry and Kevin Durant, a tier two guy in Draymond Green, and a tier three in Clay Thompson, plus some really good role players. And he mentions Andre Iguodala, et cetera. Like, you're, if that team's healthy, nobody is beating them. If you've got one tier one guy and a bunch of role players, you're not going to beat a team with two tier one, a tier two, a tier three, and a bunch of role players, right? Like, that's not feasible. And so he's saying that skewed everything for Jokic and maybe even now for like Giannis, for instance, right? Um, because people are down on Giannis because of how the Bucks season ended. And certainly he's, he's and he talks about this, he, Giannis had struggles, you know, quote unquote struggles this year for, in, in that that's why his coach got fired and it's why they, they finished their season the way that they did. But he's still a tier 1A player. And, and I agree completely with the tier 1 analysis. Giannis, Steph, and Nikola Jokic as being the top three in some order not necessarily in that order. Like if I were if I were ranking them within tiers, I'd go Jokic, Giannis, Curry, and then I would go um Embiid, Durant, Luca. Um but but like again, you could quibble with that. These are all these are the top six players in the league, and I would not I don't think anybody would with a straight face argue that. You can't put Kawhi that high at this point. You can't really put LeBron or Jimmy that high, but like I like them in two A. Like that all makes sense to me. Um in general, this exercise is fantastic. It's Seth Partner. It's by far the best quote-unquote player ranking system you're going to find out there. If you take one thing from this, take that, and then also take that I think the McDaniels ranking was inconsistent with the rest of it. I would also quibble with the Towns ranking, as I said Wednesday. But I, I like where Ant's at. I like where Gobert's at. I like where Conley's at. And I like the top six, top 20, whatever. Uh, this is a fun exercise. If you don't have an athletic subscription, consider it for this alone, frankly. And also John Krasinski, of course, he does a great job. Uh, but this is a really, really fun and and so much more thoughtful than all the other player rankings that, yes, we will talk about on the show because um, it's fun. It's fun to talk player rankings, whether it's ESPN or CBS Sports or Bleacher Report or whoever, as they you know kind of trickle out over the next several weeks. We'll talk about all of them on the show. But this is the baseline. This is a really good system and uh, uh, fun, to, fun to dive into. All right, that's all we got for you today on the show. We'll, of course, be back Monday. We'll talk FIBA. We'll talk about what happens to Team USA over the weekend, uh, the Greece game today, and then whatever else is on their schedule. So all that's upcoming next week. Um, also excited, I, you know, I'll do my, my initial win total projection. I had to come up with one for my fantasy basketball preview Timberwolves episode that I'm recording with Josh Lloyd 
um, over at uh, over at uh, Locked On Fantasy. He does a fantastic job, but he's making me predict a win total. So uh, I'll roll that out of the show here next week as well. Um, but anyway, lots to get to next week. Have a great weekend. A big thank you for making us your first listen um, every single day. It's greatly appreciated. Of course, this show is free and available everywhere. YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us. You can also watch on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV. You can follow on Twitter at Lockdown T-Wolves and also at B-Beacon. That's with two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Of course, the Lockdown Wolves podcast is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.